Yo, yo, we're talking about John, um, going through the book of John. We're on chapter three, talking about Jesus and who he is and the, the brilliance that he is, the things he says, the things he does. Yeah, and trying to pull out nuggets that, that apply to our life and help us receive him a little bit better in terms of in terms of practical stuff, you know, our relationships, our time, our energy, how we view our job, our marriages, our, our friendships, how we serve and care about others outside of church and inside of church. Um, both people who don't believe the same thing we do, but people that do believe the same thing we do. So, uh, yeah, Jesus is the master, man. So if you want to learn how to live a full life, I think it's great to take a look at him. And he claimed to be the source of life. So if you want life, you got to plug into to, to, to Jesus. That sounds cheesy. I don't mean it to be cheesy, but I, I do think that the analogy that he uses in John um, 15, the vine and the branches, just nails it. But uh, yeah, hopefully this this little podcast, it's, it's mostly me breaking down my thoughts, so it helps me explain, gain a deeper understanding, and exploring the person and divinity of Christ and the gospel and how it is good news for us. So it's a reminder for me, and I hope it can be a reminder for you as well. Um, but yeah, John 3 is is a good one. We start off where Jesus, he's done some miracles up to this point. He's been at the Passover. He flipped over some tables. He had gained some traction. He turned 150 gallons of water into wine. So people were talking about him. And I think he had been healing some folks too. So he was definitely the talk of the town um, at the Passover where everybody was hanging out. And so one of the one of the rulers of of the I think of the Jewish people, his name is Nicodemus, he comes out at night to meet Jesus. And Jesus was a polarizing figure, kind of like John was. Like the teachers didn't really like John the Baptist because he didn't fit into their mold. He actually called him out on, on their stuff. He was like, yo, the axe is at the root of the tree. You guys are trash. God can raise up stones, can raise up children on these rocks. You boast that you're children of Abraham. He doesn't need you. You're not acting like it either. These rocks are acting more like children of Abraham than you. Anyways, John the Baptist would say stuff like that to the Pharisees and to the teachers of the law, these religious figures. And uh, Jesus was in a similar vein. He didn't fit into their mold. So Nicodemus comes to him. I mean, he flipped over the the, 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 the temple stuff, right? He kind of sets the, the bar with his action that he is not, I'm going to, I'm going to destroy this temple and rebuild it in three days. That's a huge claim, um, that he makes in chapter two, but in three, Nicodemus comes out to him and, and he, he compliments him. He comes, comes to him at night though, which is interesting. You'll hear a lot of pastors talk about this, that this is most likely a sign that he didn't want to be seen with Jesus because Jesus was a little too polarizing, but you know, good for Nicodemus. He at least, you know, thought enough to come out to him and say, you know, the signs you do are definitely from God. Like, you know, tell me more, like, who are you? What are you doing? And Jesus, you would think that Jesus, this carpenter, this man from Nazareth, who doesn't have much swag, he's kind of the new kid on the block. You would think he'd be like, oh, Nicodemus, you're so cool. Like, oh yeah, like, what can I do for you? Let me help you. But he doesn't care at all. Jesus responds with a question. I don't even know if it's a question, but he responds with this odd statement where he's like, 
you know, whoever wants to, if, if whoever whoever wants to see the kingdom must be born again. And Nicodemus is like, wait, uh, excuse me, what? Yeah, if you want to see the kingdom, you have to be born born again or born from above. And Nicodemus is like, what are you talking about? Do I have to climb back up into my mom's uterus? Like, it, is that what a man has to do? Nicodemus kind of gets a little spicy with him. And Jesus uh, responds back and kind of breaks down this really interesting insight about the spirit and the flesh. This is what, what is, you know, flesh comes from flesh. Flesh gives birth to flesh and spirit gives birth to spirit. If a man wants to see the kingdom and be a part of the kingdom, he must be born of the spirit. Now the spirit, it moves like the wind. You don't know whether it blows here or there. I'm kind of butchering. I mean, you could study this passage for a year and folks have and written entire books on it. But I love kind of what Jesus talks about. He cares deeply about the spirit as opposed to the flesh. I don't think he's demonizing the flesh, but I think he is making a point here that that in order to understand who God is and understand and see the kingdom, that there is a new birth that happens within you. That a new man is born within you. The old man is is is, is let go, is put to death, and the new man begins to come out. And that's why here, uh, I mean, I'm sure you've heard of born-again Christians and things like that. That's a bit, uh, the, the interesting thing about this term is it's the only time the term is used, I believe, in, in, in Scripture. When Jesus is talking about being born from above, we could, we could literally call ourselves born above Christians, I guess. Um, but it kind of breaks down this whole idea that the Spirit gives birth in you to something new. And Jesus constantly throughout will see him, you know, commend the spirit. The spirit who is in connection with the father, right? It's not any, it's not a random ghost or something like that. The spirit is deeply connected to who the father is and what the father wants and is willing to spill out its power for what the father desires. And it deeply, the spirit deeply cares about who Jesus is and what Jesus wants and what Jesus desires and it's not some random ghost that floats in the air. The Spirit is a person. So we see Jesus commend folks when they think and live in the Spirit, right? When Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of God. He says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Bar Simon, son of Jonah, I guess that means. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by the Spirit, but by my Father in heaven. I guess he says Father in heaven, not the Spirit, but. Kind of same idea, and then when 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 Simon's all, when Peter is all up in arms about Jesus getting crucified, he's like, "Get behind me, Satan! You have not in mind the things of God, but the things of man. You're not thinking with the spirit; you're thinking with the man. You're thinking with the flesh." And Jesus ties this new birth to folks who will be saved this whole unpacking of salvation. He says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. For God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever believes in him will not perish. 
that out of God's love, he gave his son and his, and Jesus is pointing to an Old Testament passage here. He says, the son of man will be lifted up and all that look upon him will be saved. Just like the serpent in the wilderness. And he's talking about this time when Israel was out in the desert and these serpents, these snakes were all around and they were biting people and killing them. And what Moses did is he took a snake, he put it on a pole. And this is, you know, command from God. And he puts that snake and raises that snake up. And whoever looked at the snake, who looked at the snake, the dead snake on the pole, looked in the eyes, whoever looked at it, didn't die. They were saved from the venom bite. They didn't die from the venom. Whoever didn't look on it, died. I think it's really interesting um, that Jesus is talking about to look upon the sun raised up. God so loved the world that whoever believes that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will be a part of the family will not be condemned. For God did not send the Son of the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus is the Savior of the world. Jesus knows it. He cares about it. He cares about the Spirit. We see him talk about it here. And he flexes the Spirit almost. He's like, (laughs) it's crazy how he pushes on Nicodemus here. He's like, meh. You can't see the kingdom unless you have the Spirit. (laughs) Nicodemus is like, wait, what? He's like, yeah. The flesh gives birth to the flesh, spirit gives birth to the spirit. You know, if you have the spirit, you can understand. Just like when Moses rose the thing up in the desert, I'm telling you, that that whoever looks upon me, I mean, Jesus is talking some wacko stuff here to Nicodemus. I'm sure it was hard for Nicodemus to hear. But it's definitely a wild interaction. And it's cool to hear about Jesus' plan and idea of salvation and what it looks like. That we are to look upon him, look upon his death. Stare into the eyes of, 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 of sin and evil being crucified. which is, It's an awful picture, but it saves us. It's like that, um, the Knights at the Round Table, kind of facing your fear, looking into it, not avoiding. A lot of us avoid pain, and I think Jesus calls us to look at pain in order to be saved, which is really interesting. To look at the crucifixion the cross of Christ to be saved. The Knights of the Round Table story, uh, I'm stealing it from Jordan Peterson, but it's about the knights looking for the Holy Grail. Um, and, and it's in the forest. And in order to find it, each knight must enter the forest to which it is darkest to him. So you enter the forest at where it's darkest for you and scariest for you. That's usually where you will find the Holy Grail the cup of life. And I think that's true of life, that we're called to look into pain, look into suffering, look into the uncomfortable areas, and that's where we generally find life. I mean, think about conversation. Like uh, my old mentor used to say it all the time, you can measure your success in leadership, whether it be professionally or in ministry, by how many hard conversations you're having. Most people don't want to have hard conversations, but if you want to be successful, if you want to experience full life and you want to see things work, you have those hard conversations. They're sticky, they're tough, but ultimately, they're where salvation lies. Gordon Ramsay, man, he does it. Um, He's a guy that does it. He speaks the truth. He enters into the worst part first, right? He goes into the freezer, the dark areas, (laughs) finds the nasty fish that's been in there for six months. Ugh, it's rough to do, but and most most restaurant owners don't want to do it. But Gordon Ramsay will do it, and usually that's where salvation lies. 
is looking to those areas first. Anyways, then we see John the Baptist out in the wilderness, and Jesus is back out there. They're both chilling. They have their own separate crews. And John the Baptist's disciples are getting a little bummed because Jesus is the new talk of a town. Everybody's going to him to get baptized. And I love John's response. You know, he could have gotten jealous. Like, this guy kind of stole my message. But he's like, yo, this is where this guy, he is the Christ. He's the Lamb of God. Whoever believes in him will be will be saved. I don't have that power. He baptized with the Spirit. We don't baptize with the Spirit. He can give the Spirit freely. And maybe that's why Jesus said that to Nicodemus. It's kind of offering him up like, hey, are you? do you want the Spirit? What you've been doing hasn't been working. The flesh isn't working. If you really want to see the kingdom, if you want to be a part of the kingdom, if you want to be a part of who God is, his family, and his work, you got to press in to the Spirit. you got to be born of the Spirit. And John the Baptist says a great thing. He says, he must become greater, I must become less. And John the Baptist at this point, is he's okay with kind of settling down and letting Jesus succeed. And I think we could all take note of that. It's okay to be forgotten. And I think that's a huge lesson in life. It's okay to be forgotten. Because you will be forgotten. We went to a graveyard my senior year of high school for a Bible study. And we walked around. And the thing I noticed is like how many dead, how many dead people there are. <laughs> that's really sad and depressing. But I think it was really uh, humbling. Because it's like, man, who most some of the gravestones, the names were like chipped off. And there's going to come a point where your gravestone is not there anymore. It's going to decay away. You'll be forgotten. But the beautiful thing is that Christ, you won't be forgotten. Well, you'll be forgotten in this life by these people, by the flesh, but in the spirit, you won't be forgotten. Your name is written in a book of life. Your name is known by the creator of life. And you're called to live forever, which is dope. So in him you will not be forgotten. Because he became forgotten for you so that you would be remembered. Anyways, um, God loves you a lot. Hope you're well. Later.